We're in a series looking at the Holy Spirit, uh, life in the Spirit, and today we're going to talk about Spirit-empowered witnesses. And the reason why we wanted to uh, have a series that lasts about three to four months was because of the three postures that the church tends to have around the Holy Spirit. Typically, the church has uh, either forgotten the Spirit, where we believe in the Father, the Son, and maybe the Holy Scriptures, but we don't believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the church and Christians, we tend to forget the Spirit. The second posture is that the church tends to be fearful of the Spirit and that we've seen some crazy stuff done in the name of Jesus, and we're like, I don't want any of that stuff in my life. And so we tend to be fearful of the Spirit, or we tend to be forceful with the Spirit, that if the Holy Spirit doesn't do this in this way, then it doesn't count, and we tend to be forceful with others. But we want to have the appropriate a focus on the Spirit that leads to the kind of freedom that the Spirit wants to offer us. And today we're going to move a little to uh, what does the Spirit want to do through us, We've talked about the Holy Spirit as the promise of God's presence. We've talked about the Holy Spirit as the shy member of the Trinity. We've talked about the Holy Spirit as one depicted by wind and by water. What the Holy Spirit does in us, forms fruit in us, and gentleness and patience, and and leads us and guides us. But today we're going to focus on what the Spirit does through us, and more specifically, how the Holy Spirit leads us into mission. How How does the Holy Spirit lead us into mission in our world? So let's pray. Let's offer our time to God. Father, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, that we would walk out of this building having encountered you and knowing, Lord, what it means to be spirit-empowered witnesses. And so may your kingdom come in our lives. May your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Uh, Since I can remember, I've uh, played, since I was five years old, played a lot of organized sports and played a lot of disorganized sports as well. And uh, especially on Thanksgiving, after uh, Thanksgiving meal, from as long as I can remember, my cousins and friends would go out and play football in the street or at a local park. So we eat, watch some football, and then we try to imitate what we saw on the television screen. And so we'd go out and we'd play a game. And one of the things that we notice in street football and park football is that the players spend a lot of time in huddles. We spend a lot of time in huddles. And if you're going to have a plan, you got to huddle. You have to strategize. Yeah, there, there's, there must be a plan. If you're going to have a play, you need to have a plan. But the problem with our huddles is our huddles took a long time. Our huddles took a really long time. So we stay in our huddles, and then, you know, a minute goes by, two minutes goes by, and we're trying to draw off this plan. And then the other team is saying, are we going to play or are we not going to play? And then we say, break. And then we get on the field, and we mess up a play, and then we do it again. And say, we need to huddle again. And we huddle a longer time, and two and three minutes go by, and we're going to get it next time, and break. And then we do it, and we mess up again. And we spend more time in our huddles than actually playing the game on the field. And as I thought about this this past week, I thought, what a beautiful image, or sad image, rather, of what the church can become. Because it's so easy for us to, to huddle with each other every Sunday and not calling a play and not even getting on the field. It's easy for us for the church to gather week after week and the only to have a great huddle and to make the huddle as big as we possibly can. But I believe Jesus has more for us than for us to be gathering on Sundays like this in our huddles. Jesus has called us to be spirit-empowered witnesses. 
From the beginning in the book of, uh, the book of Acts, it's been God's plan for followers of Jesus to be his witnesses. And this is one of the more central aspects of the Holy Spirit that we see in the New Testament. And what I want to unpack for us today as I teach through this passage in Acts chapter 1 is this statement that the Holy Spirit didn't come simply for the enjoyment of the church, but for the empowerment of the church. The Holy Spirit didn't come just for our enjoyment. The Holy Spirit came for our empowerment. And the gravitational pull of, for many Christians is for us to focus on our enjoyment, our happiness, our needs, our experience, our times with God without any real concern for others. And all too often, we live our lives absorbed with ourselves. And, and, and in the process, we miss out on the beautiful and humbling opportunities that God wants to do in us and through us to be empowered witnesses. And this is what we see in our text this morning. The book of Acts is actually a part two of the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke was written by Luke, and the book of Acts was also written by Luke as well. And the Gospel of Luke, the, 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 the theme of the Gospel is very simple. It is the story of how the kingdom of God comes through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts is part two. It's the sequel to the gospel of Luke. And the story in the book of Acts is this. It is a story of how the kingdom of God comes through the people of God in the power of the spirit. And so when we look at the book of Acts, we see an incredible sequel and we get a picture of the purpose that God has for us as individuals and for us as a local church. And it is this, the church exists to continue the story of transformation that Jesus began. Whatever Jesus started, the church is called to continue. And so when we pick up in our text in Acts chapter 1, we find the resurrected Jesus. Jesus had been resurrected, and he spent 40 days with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God. Could you imagine? 40 days straight of Bible study with Jesus. And so one day as they're eating, about 40 days afterwards, they, they, while they're eating perhaps, Jesus tells them that he wants them to stay in Jerusalem because something significant was about to happen. And he basically saying, if you're going to announce the kingdom of God, you're going to receive something. You're going to need to receive something. And so Jesus says that the Father has a gift for them. Now, all throughout this passage, and even in that verse, we see the amazing grace and kindness of God. Because just 40 days before, these same disciples had abandoned Jesus. 40 days before, these disciples acted like they didn't know Jesus. Jesus resurrects from the dead, and then 40 days later, he has the kindness to say, my father has a gift for you as well. If you abandon me, you ain't getting nothing from me. And yet, Jesus says the father has a gift for you. And then he says what the gift is. He said, John the Baptist baptized you with water, but in just in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus says these words, you can be sure that the disciples were starting to get very excited as Jesus said this. And they didn't get excited in the way that some of us might get excited about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. For some of us, when we think about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, maybe we're thinking, oh, finally, I'm going to feel God. I'm going to get some goosebumps. It's going to be great. I'm going to get a, a tangible presence of God. It's going to be great. But when the disciples heard Jesus say, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, they were not thinking about goosebumps. They were thinking about something else entirely different. Because when Jesus says this, uh, the, the, the next question that they ask him after he tells them this reveals their longings and reveals their hopes. 
Right after Jesus says, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, this is what they say. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And this is the question that burns inside of them, to use the language that my children use in the car. Are we there yet? Is the life that we want, are we almost there? The disciples didn't want goosebumps. The disciples wanted the restoration of Israel, the restoration of Israel. That's what they wanted. And and the restoration of Israel, all signs pointed that this was about to be a reality for them. Now, when the restoration of Israel and Jewish thought and Jewish theology was to be marked by minimally two things. The first, the resurrection of the dead. And so they see Jesus resurrected from the dead. They say, check, we're on our way. And then Jesus, 40 days after a conversation with them, he says, the Holy Spirit is about to come. And the second expectation would be the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in Jewish expectations, the restoration of Israel will be marked by an outpouring of the Spirit which had been withheld from the prophets. And so Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out among you. And they get excited because in their minds, they're not thinking goosebumps. They're thinking, finally, things are going to go back to order. Finally, we're going to have cultural and political power. Finally, we're going to get rid of the Romans who have been oppressing us. And so when they asked Jesus this question, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They had a very specific uh, issue in mind. Will we be back in power? And this question reveals something about the disciples. And it also reveals something about us. Because in one way or another, we tend to ask a similar question like these disciples. And this is what this question reveals about us. It reveals that the church often settles for uh, power and position rather than being empowered for mission. The church often settles for power and position rather than being empowered for mission. When they ask Jesus if he's going to restore the kingdom, they reveal their primary concern. They believe that if we just had political power, if we just had cultural power, then we would be safe. If only our kingdom would be restored, then we will feel stable and safe and familiar and in control. They would be in familiar territory. And so in this question, they demonstrated that they would rather settle for position and power rather than to be empowered for mission. And when I hear this question that the disciples ask in this passage, I can't help but think about the voice of many Christians in 2015. Many Christians long for the same kind of power that the early church is searching for. But many Christians seem to want position in power rather than to be empowered for mission. From a national perspective, we see this in politics. The church tends to get nervous when the world doesn't look more Christian. If a piece of legislation passes that we, we don't believe is supported by the Bible, we start getting nervous. If values that are held to in public are not reflecting our biblical values, we start to panic. I know this because I've seen you guys on Facebook. I've seen you on Facebook. If someone gets voted into office that we don't think reflects the gospel, reflects Christian character, we begin to panic. And and, And we tend to believe that the only way to see transformation is to get Christians into power. Not knowing that throughout the course of the the church's life, the church has exhibited most power, not when Christians have been in positional power, but when the church has been on the margins. When the church has been on the margins, that's when the church has flourished with dynamic Holy Spirit power. 
But when Christians get into power, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit power that wants to be manifested sometimes gets quelled and stifled. And throughout the, throughout the church's history, whenever the church is on the margins of society, culturally and politically, the church is ready to experience and express the power of God. But once Christians start getting into power, politically and culturally, it stifles the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst. And so don't get nervous if your candidate doesn't get voted in. Don't get crazy on me on Facebook either. But beyond national and, and cultural and political life, we as individuals in our day tend to live with a lives focused on the same question. The question of whether the kingdom would be fully restored is a question of stability, question of safety, question of familiarity, questions of control. And these are words that tend to describe the kind of life that we all want. All of us want to be stable. All of us want to be safe. All of us want familiar territory. All of us want to be in control. And it's not that these things are bad. These are all good things. But much of our lives is a strategy to focus on our stability, our safety, our familiarity, our control. And in the process, we don't pay attention to what God has called the church to be and to do. We are called to be empowered witnesses. And I know this the, the way that we, 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 we live our lives on a regular basis. Let me ask you, when you go to school, are, are, is the question that you're wondering, Lord, how are you calling me to impact those in my school or my university? When, we, when you go uh, in through your apartment building or when you walk to your neighborhood, are you thinking, Lord, how are you calling me to impact my neighbors and impact the people around me? When you go to work, are you there just to punch in and punch out and sometimes punch somebody out? <laughs> Or are you there to impact the atmosphere and impact the culture of that workplace? The disciples in this passage are not looking to engage in any kind of mission. But Jesus wants them to change their focus. And so they ask Jesus, Lord, is this a time that you're going to restore the kingdom? And then Jesus totally redirects the conversation. And I like how the voice translation puts it. After they ask the question, Jesus puts it this way. He says, the father on his own authority has determined the ages and epochs of history. But you have not been given this knowledge. In other words, they're saying, Jesus is saying, that's not, the kind, that's not the kind of knowledge you need. Here's the knowledge you need. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses first here in Jerusalem and beyond to Judea and Samaria and finally to the farthest places on earth. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is not coming for your personal enjoyment, but for your empowerment. And I need to pause here for a moment because, because for many Christians, we, we view the Holy Spirit's presence and power as something that is simply to be received, but never offered out. And as a result, we don't live with a kind of life, even though we're receiving a lot, that God has called us to. It reminds me of the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea in the Middle East. The Dead Sea is also known as the Salt Sea. And it's, it's so salty that there is no fish or plant life. And, and the reason is that there's no outlets at all. There's only inlets. Just water comes in and nothing flows out. And as a result, it says that it's so salty that there's no outlets. It contains no life, no fish, no plant life. And as I looked at this picture this past week as I was working on this sermon, I thought this is a picture of many of our lives. That it is possible for us to come to the point where we have many inlets 
but no outlets. It's possible for us to attend conferences over and over and over and over again. And, 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 and seminars, and we go to services, and we're reading books, and I'm, I'm a fan of all of these things. But how is it possible that we can be doing all of this receiving and still living without the kind of life that God wants us to? Well, the answer is because all we have been doing is receiving. And God has called us to move beyond just receiving to get us to a place where we are spirit-empowered witnesses, giving expression to the world that which God has deposited inside of us. And so at this point, we have to understand something about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is not just given for us to, to, to feel wonderful, that the Holy Spirit is given for us to be faithful witnesses as well. The Holy Spirit is given to empower us to be his witnesses, to be an outlet of God's power in the world. And so uh, in this passage, we see that Jesus has given the church a very simple job description. Many of you, when you go to work and, or you're applying for a job, you see there's massive bullet points, 20, 30 bullet points. You've got to do all of this. And I'm thinking, how can any human person, one person, do all of these things? Jesus makes it simple for us. You have one job description as a follower of Jesus. You are called to be his witness. That's it. What's your job description? You are called to be my... Now, notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you shall do some witnessing. doesn't say that. He said, you shall be my witness. There's something about your life that points to the reign and the rule of God. And, and so I want to unpack this idea of witness. In the book of Acts... The word witness comes up 39 times in the book of Acts. And this is, this is a prominent theme. And most people would say that uh, this is the major theme of the book of Acts, that you will receive power and the Holy Spirit will come upon you to be my witnesses. And, and so it's helpful to get an idea. When Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses, there are two primary ways that that word should be understood. The first way to understand it is that to be a witness literally meant to be a martyr, to be a martyr. And that word literally in the Greek language means you shall be my martyrs. And in Bible times, to be a martyr was to be a witness. And that, that word martyr means to die for a cause, especially for uh, uh, dying for the faith. And so many of the early Christians, and including many of these disciples, uh, ended up dying for their witness, ended up being uh, uh, martyrs, literally dying for their belief. And in that respect, they were witnesses. But I want you to see this. I, I, to be a witness or a martyr is not just about being killed for your faith. It's also about dying to all the things we mentioned earlier. It's also about dying to stability and safety and familiarity and control and saying that as I die to those things, God is infusing me with a life to be an empowered witness. And so when Jesus says, you should be my witnesses, the first way he's saying it is, you are, to be a, you are to die to those things that are keeping the flow of God's life from, uh, from being expressed through you. That's the first way. The second way of seeing a witness is that the word witness is, is the word for just one who announces, one who announces. N.T. Wright, a great uh, New Testament scholar, said, uh, that in the world of the first century, when someone was enthroned as a king, like Caesar in Rome, the new authority would take effect as heralds went out to declare there is a new king in town. Remember, there's no Facebook, there's no Twitter, we can't get this information out there. It became uh, uh, effective as the heralds went out to declare that there was a new 
king in town. So when Jesus uh, uh, tells his disciples that you are to be my witnesses, they understood that they were to go everywhere announcing that there was a new king on the throne. And in the Roman Empire, they were saying, and it's not Caesar, it's Jesus. And by their life and by their words, they were to announce that a new reality has come upon them, that Jesus Christ is alive. And he has sent us out in the way that we live and in the words that we say to demonstrate that a new reality has become effective, that Jesus Christ is ruling and he is reigning, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so to be a witness means that we intentionally model a different way of being in the world, a way that is empowered by the Spirit. And Jesus is empowering them to live a different kind of life He's calling us to be his witnesses. And so what does it mean to be empowered by the Holy Spirit for witness? A couple of years ago, I maybe told a story. When, when, when I was a young Christian, about 19 years old or so, uh, 20 years old, I had just become a Christian, and I was very zealous. I had a lot of zeal and had little knowledge. And so I got this temporary job, and I, every place I went, if I was a temporary job, I was going to witness until they fired me. Witness until they fired me. You're going to witness until they fired me. I wasn't thinking they were going to fire me, but I was going to let everybody know about Jesus. And so I went there, and I let people know, and I put on my, my, my screensaver, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I put it in, like, pink uh, and then green. Like, you can't miss this. The font was green. The background was pink. You cannot miss this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you don't have to live this way. You can have a conversation with me. We can fix this right now, you know? And so my supervisor said to me, you know, Rich, this is very offensive. This is very offensive. <laughs> Please take that down. And I'm thinking, it's a free world. What do you mean take it down? And so I took it down. And the next day I came with a T-shirt with all the verses on me anyway. This is like... All have sinned. You want me to take the T-shirt off too? I don't got nothing underneath it. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, please don't witness like that on the job, everybody. Please don't. That, please, that was a long time. Please don't witness like that on the job. To be a witness is not just that we're, we're, we're always just sharing our faith like that in that kind of context. To be a witness means that there's something about your life and the words that you speak and the kind of person that you are that when people see you, they say, oh, there's something different. You are bearing witness to another reality. You're bearing witness to something that the world cannot comprehend. And so what does it mean for us to bear witness, to be spirit-empowered witnesses as a local church and as individuals? And I want to just unpack four things that we see in the, gospel, in the, in the book of Acts, four ways that uh, what does it mean for us to be spirit-empowered witnesses? in the way that we live in the world. And we see these four things as a theme in the book of Acts. How are we spirit-empowered witnesses? The Holy Spirit empower us, empowers us to be witnesses, first of all, through our love for people that don't know Jesus. Through our love for people that don't know Jesus. And many different um, like traditions that place an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. I, came, my, my experience, I come from a, a, a Pentecostal tradition and experience. Uh, whenever someone gets filled with the Spirit, it was, it was, you're filled with the Holy Spirit to be, get far from sinners. And so God fills you so you can just get away from sinners. 
But when the Holy Spirit falls in the book of Acts, it's not so that they can get away. It was how do we engage those that don't know Jesus in loving ways? How do we essentially love them into the kingdom of God? And as I thought about this passage, I think about our lives, that God has called us, he's empowered us through the Holy Spirit to be his witness in our love for people that don't know Jesus. That in our conversations in our neighborhood, in the workplace, that may God give us a burden to love those that don't know Jesus, that they would see who Christ is by the way that we love, by our generosity, by the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, by the way that we welcome people essentially into the kingdom of God. Rosie and I, we, we moved uh, to, almost three years ago to Queens, and, and when we moved to this, um, this new apartment building, uh, one of our passions was to bear witness to Jesus in this apartment building. My thought was, I, I want to get to know people. I want to know their names. I want to know their stories. I want to know who they are. Ultimately, I want to get an opportunity not just to befriend them, but to have spiritual conversations with them as well. And this past uh, fall, this past Halloween, Rosie and I were working on our rule of life together, our family rule of life, our marriage rule of life, and trying to figure out what does the life ordered by God look like. And one of the things that we thought about was, what would it look like to, for us to welcome our neighbors into our homes in more intentional ways? And so we thought we have Halloween coming up. How about we, we invite neighbors to come over for candy and so for apple cider? And so we put this on the elevators there, trick-or-treat. Make us a part of your trick-or-treating adventure. Visit the Lotus Family Apartment 3E for no tricks, just treats, okay? No tricks, just treats. And so, um, and, and we put this on the elevator, um, elevators there. I'm wondering, is anyone going to come? And we invited some folks over. And by 3 o'clock, I'm wondering, we got all this apple cider ready to go. Got all this candy, and Lord, these kids better come because I'm going to eat all the candy. You know, I'm going to take it all there. And the doorbell rings, and one family comes in. Doorbell rings. Some kids come in. They just, they, the kids just barged right in the house. And just, I said, do not go in the fridge. I don't know you. Don't go in the fridge. You know, they just, they just walked right in there. And one family, they came by the door, and I opened the door. I said, hey, welcome. And they say, hey, trick or treat and all that there. And he said, I can't stay. He had a little son named Raymond. And he said, I can't say, but I just have to tell you this. He said, I've lived in this building for 10 years, and no one has ever invited me into their home. And so just thank you for inviting me into their home there. And I thought, this is exactly, now, at that moment, you know, you would think that in, the, in Bible days, that man would come with his son, and he'd say, thank you for inviting me to your home. And I'd say, would you like to become a Christian? And he'd say, yes, I want to become a Christian right now, please. Pray for me right now, you know. It didn't happen like that. It didn't happen like that. But I tell you, when I walk out on the, in, in the front of the building and we're in the elevator, now there's some rapport now. And now we can have slowly and surely some spiritual conversations. And really, who is God calling? Who are the people around you that God is calling you to love that do not know Jesus? Maybe they're in your workplace. That we're not judging people, we're loving people. Maybe they're in your neighborhood. Maybe they're part of your family. But we bear witness in our love for those that do not know Jesus. We also bear witness through the, uh, the Holy Spirit empowers us to, uh, to be witnesses through our commitment to break down barriers, through our commitment to break down barriers. And we see this throughout the book of Acts. One of the more powerful ways that the church witnessed the person and the power of Jesus was by breaking down barriers that fell down and uh, that, that kept people apart. 
In ancient times, the world was segmented and segregated. There's men over here, women over here, rich over here, poor over there, Jew over there, Gentile over here, sinner over here, righteous over here. And the world was neatly categorized in compartments and segments. Then the Holy Spirit comes. And whatever uh, segmented ways that they live came down, barriers came down in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden, new communities started to emerge of people that would never be in the same room. But the Holy Spirit came. And the Holy Spirit knocked down every barrier that kept people apart from each other. And this is why at New Life, we are committed to seeing barriers fall. And we cannot do it apart from the power of the Spirit. Dr. King, in 1963, he wrote these famous words where he said that we must face the fact that in America, uh, the church is still the most segregated major institution in America. At 11 a.m. on Sunday morning when we stand and sing and Christ has no east or west, we stand at the most segregated hour in this nation. And he says, this is tragic. And although this, this, not, this is not our reality at New Life, we have 73 nations represented here. But we are to be a sign, not just in our, in our Sunday gatherings, but in our small groups as well. And when we gather together that in Jesus Christ, every barrier must come down. That racism must come down. That ethnocentrism must come down. That classism must come down. That misogynistic ways must come down. That, that in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, every barrier that the world erects to keep people apart from each other, we are to bear witness that there is a power that's available to crush every barrier and draw people together. And so in Jesus' name, we are to tear down barriers. In Jesus' name, we are to, whatever, however the world wants to segment people economically and, and racially and what have you, we are called to break down barriers. So who is God calling you to this week, someone maybe much different than you, to listen to, to begin to break down barriers in your own personal life? Someone from a different ethnicity, someone from a different socioeconomic uh, class, if you will. Who is God calling you to step into to begin breaking down barriers? And unless we are breaking down barriers, we are not bearing witness to the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we are called to first love people that don't know Jesus. We are, uh, we are uh, witnesses to our commitment to break down barriers. Third, we are witnesses through our faith to see God work in power. Through our faith to see God work in power. One of the ways the church lived as empowered witnesses was by their trust in God that God at any moment could heal and restore people, could heal and restore people, could set the captives free. That those that were sick, that in the name of Jesus, that healing could come. That those that were in bondage to the evil one, that in the name of Jesus, they can be set free. And I believe that God is calling us as a church, not just to, 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 to experience and to emphasize proclamation, but also demonstration. That God has called us to be spirit-empowered witnesses in such a way. And I, when you look at the New Testament, you see that so, so many times Jesus healed someone that, that was not a follower of Jesus, and the church was healing people that did not know Jesus. Could it be possible? Could it be possible that one of the greatest ways that we can witness the power of God, especially the people that do not know who Christ is, is by simply agreeing that God could heal them and set them free? Most of the time when people in our workplace come to us or a judge, they say, I have this real serious illness, what have you. You say, you know, I got some Advil for you. This can help you, some Advil. As opposed to saying, maybe we can trust that God can heal you. 
And maybe this week in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, who is that person? And maybe you want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit this week. That maybe God has opened up opportunities for you to simply pray and believe that God can heal someone and set someone free who's been in bondage to something. And the way that we witness to the world is not just with good sermons, it's with God's power. Wherever we go in the world. And so my hope for you, my prayer is that God would open your eyes to be on the lookout for those people that God wants to release power in their lives. And may we be that kind of church. Yesterday, we had just under 100 leaders gather together here. And many people were touched by God. We focused on the filling of the Holy Spirit. And many people were touched by God and ministered to. And as I see, looked around the room and see how God was ministering to people and, 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 and moving on people, I just thought this is a kind of experience that we are not just to contain to ourselves. This isn't something that's just supposed to happen on Sunday morning or Saturday. What if this happened in your neighborhood? What if this happened at Stop and Shop? What if this happened at the bank? What, is, what if God wants to do something through you if we were only sensitive to how God is moving? And next week, I'm going to talk about boldness. Does he stepping out into this? But fourth is this, how are we spirit-empowered witnesses? The Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses in our commitment to serving the poor. Throughout the book of Acts, we see that when the Holy Spirit came, that there was a great emphasis on serving the poor. The world views success in, as the world is in close proximity to those that are in power. The kingdom of God views success and our close proximity to the poor. The world says, the closer I am to those in power, the more successful I am. The kingdom of God says, the more closer you are in proximity to the poor, the more successful you are. And so at New Life, we have a commitment to loving this community, Elmhurst, and loving greater Queens and greater New York City. And our hope is that the Holy Spirit would empower us so that we live our lives generously, serving so that the poor is empowered, the poor is served, that in our everyday lives, that our minds are on how can I serve those that are disenfranchised, serve those that are marginalized, serve those in, in giving and in speaking and whatever, that God would use me in this kind of way. God wants us to, to be filled with the Spirit in such a way that we have a great commitment to serving the poor. And since 1987, this has been our commitment as a church, that our church would be committed to serving and empowering the poor in our neighborhood. Now, how do we access this power? I'll end with this. How do we access this power? When Jesus tells them this great news, the first thing Jesus tells them to do is he says, I want you to wait. I want you to wait. Now, they just had 40 days of Bible study with Jesus. They're probably fired up. They're probably saying, we could do this right now. We don't got to wait for nothing. We can do this. Matthew, you work some numbers, run some numbers. You were a tax collector, run some numbers. John, you know, you guys are, you got, you got some ideas. Let's build a strategy. We can do this right now. And Jesus says, you don't understand. You can't do this in your own power. And so he says, if you're going to live this kind of power, you're going to have to wait. And in their waiting, I believe this is what waiting, and when we, when we pray together, when we are worshiping, when we're in silence and solitude, we're essentially waiting on God. And when we wait, we, we, we are basically uh, doing away with the equation that the world and even some Christian spirituality tells us. This is the equation that we tend to think about power. We tend to say that to be spirit-empowered witnesses means this. It is God's power 
plus our power, which will equal spirit-empowered witnesses. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the way of the kingdom. Here's the way of the kingdom. It's God's power plus our weaknesses that equals spirit-empowered witnesses. And it's only until we come to a place where we realize, I got nothing. It's only when we come to a place where we realize, I, that apart from you, I can do nothing. It's only when we come to a place where we realize I, our utter emptiness and brokenness and weakness that Jesus says, now I can fill you with my spirit. Because at this, point, at this time, you've been filled with your own self. But if, you're, if you empty yourself in waiting, and this is what waiting is doing, when we, when we wake up in the morning at 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning, and we say, Lord, would you fill me? When we're waiting on God, not waiting, we're waiting on God. What we're essentially saying is, without you, I can do nothing. When we're reading scripture and we're saying, Lord, I need you to speak to me, what we're saying is, Lord, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting you to fill me with something that I cannot fill myself with. When we worship together on Sunday mornings and, and, and we have a long, uh, like we had this morning, and we're just singing and praising God, what we're essentially saying is, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. And this is the kind of posture that Jesus says is the only way that power is going to be released through us as we wait on him. And the truth is, until we recognize that we are totally dependent on God, we will not live with the kind of power that God has called us to. But once we confess to ourselves and to others that without God, I can do nothing. He says, now you are a candidate to experience my power. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. And I want to give us a moment to just wait on God together. I just want us to sing and respond, but I want to take about 30, 30 seconds or so. And maybe one of those four areas you feel today, God's speaking to you. God is tugging at you. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two, whatever it is. But we want to live from a place of openness to the Holy Spirit in our midst. So with your eyes closed, I want to invite you to open your hands uh, towards your palms up to receive. This is a posture of emptiness, a posture of dependence. A posture of, I can't do anything without you. And as we wait on God, may the power of the Holy Spirit fill us. Father, we confess today that it is so easy to settle for positional power, for our safety, our familiarity, rather than to be empowered by you for mission. Lord, you want to do incredible things through us. You want to help us to lead us, to usher people into your kingdom break down barriers to serve and love those that are on the margins to operate in power and healing so Lord we wait on you as best as we know fill us as a community 
Fill us as individuals. Fill us to overflow. Baptize us afresh. And so we sing to you now words of worship, words of praise, words of dependence. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my right. And I believe God is speaking to many of us in this room right now. For some of you in this room, you're not even a Christian. Someone invited you. You came. Maybe you've been coming. But you've never said yes to Jesus. And today is your day. If you've never said yes to Jesus, we have a prayer team here that would love to pray with you and pray for you. God has such a life for you. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to offer you a hope that the world cannot give. He wants to set you free from your bondage. He wants to empower you to be his witness. And if that's you today, you know who you are. I want to invite you to come down and we would love to pray with you and pray for you. For some of you in this room, you are a Christian, but you don't feel empowered. You have not been living with the kind of power, the kind of uh, joy and energy and peace. You've just been going through the motions and God wants to meet you in a fresh way today as well. And if today you're yearning for something more than the every week I go to church and do this and you're looking for something, just a, a fresh encounter with the living God, at the end of our service, I want you to come up here as well. And you know who you are. It's easy to just go through the motions, without. but God has joy for you and peace for you and love for you. God, God has so much he has for you and so much power for you. And for whatever needs you have, maybe you came here sick today, sick in your body. The Spirit of God is here. The power of God is available. And so you come down, you receive prayer as well. We're going to trust that God can bring healing and restoration. Or maybe you're emotionally wounded. And you need God to just visit you and set you free. You come forward as well. Whatever need you have, the Spirit of God is here to meet you where you're at. So as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Like I mentioned earlier, parents, if you want to learn more about what's happening in kids' ministry, just go down. There's a table there. Or if you want to serve there, you can do that there. There's some refreshments in our shell room. Um, but let's walk out of here in the power and in the joy of God. Let me bless you all. Brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the fact that Jesus is alive. May you experience his grace upon grace this week. May God use you in powerful ways. And so I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen. Grace and peace, everybody.